You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 253 with Dinah Vink. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys, I'm super excited to have Dinah on the show today. We are going to be talking about hormones. And if you have been listening to my episodes recently, I have been doing more shows on hormones, especially around perimenopause and menopause, because I think there are so many women dealing with perimenopausal symptoms and have no idea that's what is actually happening with them. And just listening to these women talk and looking back in their lives and thinking, man, I really wish I knew I was going through perimenopause. That would have actually really helped. And that is why I'm having women come on the show to talk about this, because I don't want you guys living in like torture when you don't need to. And and nobody talks about this. Like people don't talk about perimenopause. I think we just think about menopause. At like, okay, it happens in our fifties, maybe sixties. I don't know. Like we're super far away from that. And you have no clue that you actually are going through perimenopause. You're like, why am I yelling at everyone? <laughs> why do I have brain fog? Why can't I remember your name? It's not like you have baby brain. Like maybe you had a baby seven years ago. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's all these things that might be happening to you. And I think we're only triggered to look at hot flashes. Like I I swear, I think that's all we are ever taught to look for. So I want you guys to listen to these people. I, I want you to hear their different like options. You know, some of them are saying to do hormone therapy and what that looks like and and not to do synthetic. Okay. So you guys need to make sure you listen to um, all of my episodes. You just can look up hormones, perimenopause, and all of them will come up. Um, and other people have talked about supplements and, and things to do um, in that regard. And today we're going to be talking about like sleeping and um, certain foods that might be triggering all these symptoms that you could possibly avoid. So I hope you guys like are loving these episodes and make sure to share this with your friends because here's the thing, you guys, we could be having babies in our late thirties, early forties, and then just be thinking, Oh, it's because I had a baby, but you could actually be compounding your hormones, meaning you've had the baby and then you're also in perimenopause and you have no clue. Um, and you may not even had a baby. Maybe you're just kind of like, wait, I'm 38, I'm 39. I'm not going through perimenopause. Yeah, you probably are if you're having some of these issues. So that's why I want this to be known. I want it to get out there. I want people to know that like, this is what's going on in your body if you're having issues. Okay. So please share this with your friends. And, um, you know, I I want this to reach as many women as possible. I don't want us to suffer. And, um, I just want us to be able to figure out things and whatever works best for your lives. Um, you know, so that's why I want to have multiple people come on the show so that you can kind of get a different take on different um, solutions and what works best for you. So I really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. So before we jump into the show, I just want to remind you guys that if you are thinking about doing something different in your life, or you're feeling like you've completely lost yourself, like maybe you're kind of like, you know what, I'm the lowest person on the totem pole. Um, I always put myself last. Or maybe you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do with my life. I want to do something different. The kids are in school. I want to pivot. I want to change. I want to do something I'm passionate about. And you just don't know how to take that first step. I want to encourage you guys to set up a free 30-minute consultation call with me. I got certified as a life coach. 
in July. I started this program in January and it has given me so many tools to help you guys. Like I wanted to do this to help all of you beyond the podcast. So if you feel like you're struggling, if you feel like you're just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I have completely lost who I used to be before having kids. I don't know how to make time. I feel like I don't have self-confidence. I'm doubting everything I'm doing. I just feel like everyone's doing what they want to do except for me. This is where I come in. This is where I want to help you guys. I have such a passion to help moms to kind of go after what they want. That's why I created the Mom Inspired Show. I want to inspire you guys. I want to have other moms inspire you. I want to be able to inspire you. I want you guys to be able to inspire other moms. So we all have to pull together and lift each other up. So if you want to set up that call with me, it's 30 minutes. It's free. All you have to do is go to mominspiredshow.com and then you can go to the coaching tab Click that. It will take you to my scheduling software. You can set up an appointment. Super easy. If you have any questions, just email me, amber at mominspiredshow.com. I would love to help you in any way I can. I would love to meet you. So feel free to send me a message. Um, But again, I would love to just start working with you guys. If you want to dive deeper into figuring out what is your next step for life, if you feel like you're living a life too small for you, this is where I come in and I really want to help you guys. I'm having so much fun with all of my clients and just helping all the moms um, that I am helping right now. And it's just been a blast. I am super passionate about it. And it just makes me so excited to see what moms can bring to the table when they actually start putting themselves first at times instead of always last. So Anyways, I hope to hear from you. Email me if you want or go to mominspiredshow.com. Set up your next appointment uh, for a 30-minute consultation. Anyways, let's go to the show. Dinah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Amber. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so I like to ask icebreakers um, to start off the show, and I am a travel agent, so I love to just kind of ask people about travel. Um, Where are you really wanting to travel to now that things are kind of opening back up? Well, you know, there are lots of places on my mind, but um, one of the places that I've wanted to go to for well, a few years now is Iceland. I've just heard such great stuff about Iceland um, and some of the, the natural scenery that's there, the, the volcanoes, the, you know, the, the great uh, expanses, the ponies, the waterfalls, the wonderful people, the colorful houses. It, 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 all, it all sounds so appealing to me. Yeah, I agree. I, that's on my list too. I'm curious. You said ponies. So, what do you mean when you say ponies? Are they are there ponies like walking around naturally? Yeah. Oh. Yes, there are wild wild ponies in Iceland, and some of them are are um, uh, cared for, and some oh, of them wow. are domesticated. But there's still a a couple of herds of wild ponies, and they often show up in the <laughs> in in the the tourist pictures. Oh, uh, that's fine. So I'm not. I'm not sure I would ride a pony, yeah. but uh, it, it, it would be lovely to see them. Yes. And yeah, yeah I, that is really I can't cool. pronounce where they are. Yeah, um, I know. I those, wor- those words are hard. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much anywhere. But Reykjavik, I think I, I think I'm reasonably producing that name accurately. <laughs> but um, I, I think one would want to take a short course on how to pronounce names. Yes. Uh, you know, before I know. going there. Right. Yeah. I know. It's all, it, 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 it looks like a bunch of letters just all thrown together and you're kind of like, I'm not really sure how to even attempt to pronounce yeah, it. So yeah. yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, let's jump in. How about you tell us your name and where you are from? 
Yes, uh, my name is Dinah Vink, and I am uh, from, well, I'm from, I'm living in Ottawa, Canada now. I've lived most of my life uh, in, in Canada. Where is Ottawa again? In Canada, like where are you at location-wise? Well, Ottawa is uh, Canada's capital, and it's oh. located uh, in the central part in the province of Ontario, oh, kind okay. of in the in the north. Yeah, um, and not too far. Uh, we're about uh, an hour's drive away from Lake Ontario, which is one of the, the those huge inland yep. lakes yep. that uh, that we have. Yeah, so I'm from Michigan, and so grew up very close to Windsor. So, um, how far is that from Windsor? Uh, probably about a seven hour drive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That gives me kind of an idea where you are. All right. Well, that's neat. Um, I know I love my Canadians. So um, we have a lot of Canadians that listen to the show. So that's really fun. Um, so Dinah, how about you kind of just share with us a little bit to how you got to where you are today um, with the topic um, that we're going to be talking about just to kind of give um, everyone a little bit of a background. Sure. Well, it, it kind of began with a with a personal journey, and uh, the the personal journey was was not smooth as as you might imagine. Um, I was working as a director of marketing in a in a high tech company, and I started noticing that things weren't going as well as they as they used to with with me. Um, I was becoming short tempered. I was gaining weight. I had brain fog. Um, I was forgetting things, and I thought, well, this is uh, this is odd. But I, I didn't really, you know, connect any dots or anything. And and um, I went for my my annual uh, checkup, and uh, I, I mentioned some of this stuff to my doctor, and she didn't, you know, say anything. But she did try to body shame me, which pretty, you know, that, that just really made me angry. And, uh, here I'd been doing all sorts of things. I had been trying diets. I'd been trying exercise programs. I'd been trying supplements and magic pills and whatnot. And, um, so it wasn't as if this was unnoticed, this extra weight gain, yeah. but she gave me the most ridiculous diet, um, which was very, uh, you know, processed carbohydrate rich and, uh, you know, the, the low fat diet. And if I had eaten that, I would have gained 10 pounds in a month. You know, I mean, I was quite disgusted with her. And, um, I, I said to her, well, I'm, I'm starting to suspect that I'm insulin resistant. And she'd never heard of that term. She said, well, that's not a medical term. I don't know what that means. Oh, and so I tried to explain to her that this is uh, something that can happen when you're eating uh, too many carbs or you're eating several times a day. And, you know, the, the result is, is that your body becomes sort of immune to this. You have too much insulin in your body and you end up storing this insulin and, and the fat that, that comes with it in your, in your body without being able to process it normally. Well, she, did, she wasn't having any of that. And so I, uh, you know, I, I was, I was pretty annoyed with that. And, um, then I went to my, 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 um, dietitian and I had a similar conversation with her. She was of no help. <laughs> she, she suggested a similar sort of diet. So that was not helpful. And then my trainer, when I went to the, I, I went to the gym, but I was also doing a lot of long distance cycling at the time. And, um, he didn't really have any, 
you know, any, any help. He was saying, well, you're lazy. You need to do more of this. But, you know, when I looked in my calendar, I was already doing something like 20 hours of exercise a week. I thought, well, this is clearly not the answer. <laughs> I think there must be some magic kind of exercise I need to be doing because whatever it is that I'm doing now is not really working for me. And so it wasn't uh, until a couple of years later, um, I guess I was about 42 or three when it began. And it wasn't until I was about 46 when the hot flushes began. Mm. And then the penny dropped. And I thought, okay, now I think I know what's going on. This is perimenopause. Yeah. And I brought that to my doctor and uh, she said, oh, uh, well, do you want me to do something for you? I said, well, that would be nice. You know, these hot flashes are getting to be pretty annoying. And um, I had been counting them and I was getting between 30 and 60 a day. Whoa. So this is this is definitely <laughs> that's and that's lot. just while I was awake. Yeah, wow. just while I was awake. Okay. So. She said, oh, well, I'll give you some hormone replacement therapy. And she says, but but it is dangerous, so I don't want to give it to you for very long. And I thought, oh, great. <laughs> so so um, she gave me, you know, the, these pills, and uh, these were actually the synthetic HRT. Okay, yes, that's what I wanted to point out really quick, because I've had um, doctors on before and saying, like, I think it's the whole difference between synthetic and I forget what the other kind is. Is it because it's a synthetic that it's not, that's why it's the dangerous kind? Yes. Okay. Yes. The, okay. So the, so the, the body identical is what we've got now. And um, what's so radically different is the delivery system. Um, so with the body identical, it comes in like a patch or a cream. So it's absorbed through the skin and it goes directly into the bloodstream. Whereas the synthetic as a pill, it goes into your stomach and, you know, gets processed by your liver and everything else. Um, and, and that is where the, the danger uh, occurs is, is by going through that cycle. So, um, but, you know, getting back to my synthetic HRT, uh, she never offered to change the dosage or to look at adding a, a cream supplement or anything else. It was, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing. Um, and so after six months to a year, I was monitoring and there was really no change to my hot flashes. Um, I was still getting, you know, between 20 and 50 a day. So I thought, well, this is, this is clearly not doing anything. It wasn't doing much for my mood change or anything. So I thought, well, this is not my solution. So I need to figure this out, right? I need to jump into the research. I need to look at the healthy aging research, especially for women. And there wasn't a lot around, I have to tell you. <laughs> it's, it's getting a bit better now, but um, there wasn't a lot around. So what I started to do was to, to test out the various theories on myself and to say, well, you know, does this work? Does that work? And, and, and uh, so that's, you know, that was what began, uh, what turned into a, you know, a fairly long path of trying to figure out how to, how to navigate these symptoms of perimenopause and, uh, make the best of what should be a, a fantastic part of my life. Wow. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a question about food. Like what, what do you think about food in regards to helping your hormones and feeling better? 
Yeah. Well, um, I, I like to think of food as medicine. And just as my doctor gave me all those unhelpful foods, um, that was a, a real signal that the medical community um, is not really all that well equipped to um, to talk about food, to prescribe food, to, you know, to use food as medicine. Mm. Um, and when I, when I looked into that, it turns out that um, doctors get uh, less than an hour of nutrition out of their whatever eight years of, of study. Um, and I, I found this kind of remarkable because food is something that we, that we put into our bodies every day. Right. And it seems like a, a lost opportunity if we don't take advantage of, uh, of being somewhat selective about what it is that we eat. And so I, I started experimenting with food and I found out pretty quickly that sugar was kind of the, you know, the center of, of, uh, certainly my problems. And it turned out that it's a problem, not only for, for women in perimenopause, but also for all kinds of other problems like cancer and joint pain and sleep and inflammation and all these things. So if you were to remove sugar, and that's that's um, kind of a challenging task, <laughs> because sugar uh, seems to have found its way into almost any processed food that you can find these days. So um, that removing sugar kind of automatically meant that you're looking at whole foods. So you're looking at vegetables, you're looking at proteins, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at fats and how do you combine these, these different foods and, uh, and do it in, in a healthy way. So, you know, there are some foods that are particularly excellent for, uh, for ladies in perimenopause and even on to menopause. And that would be lots of, uh, vegetables, lots of leafy greens, um, uh, also some more carbohydrate rich foods, but things like, uh, sweet potatoes or, um, yams, I guess, uh, if we have some squash, that kind of thing. So those are, those are really nice and nourishing. And then clean proteins, uh, organic, uh, grass-fed, um, uh, free run. <laughs> so proteins that have not been um, cooped up and have not been ingesting a lot of, of uh, um, antibiotics. So that usually means that you're landing in the organic uh, field. And then fats, uh, particularly fats like um uh, extra virgin olive oil, um, uh, avocado oil, coconut oil, these things. Because if you get into some of the vegetable oils, which are the most prominent now, or even trans fats, uh, those can just gum things up in your arteries and, and in your veins and can lead to all sorts of problems like inflammation and heart problems and, and blood pressure problems, etc. So this food as medicine is is kind of a, a cool thing and because you can notice the difference so quickly uh, within a matter of days. If you were to simply remove sugar, you would notice that your brain fog would lift, that your joint pain would go away, that the, you know, the, the bloating and the gas that you have would would dissipate. The inflammation that you have would go away, and uh, it's it's sort of magical when you think of how quickly your body can can react to to making those changes. 
I was going to ask you, so like with the brain fog, what do you feel like stands out to you the most in regards to helping with the brain fog? Um, well, brain fog is um, uh, mostly an inflammation problem. And we get inflammation not only in our guts and in our joints, but also in the brain. So if we can do something to alleviate uh, inflammation in the brain, then uh, then that's super, super important. And this is uh, important, especially as we see that so many millions of people are now suffering with with dementia. And, um, you know, I, I hearken back to my mother who, um, bless her heart, she uh, suffered with uh, about almost 20 years of dementia before finally passing away. And um, while she was pretty, pretty good with her diet uh, leading up to it, by the time she got into her, her 60s and 70s, she became less interested in preparing her own food. And she started getting prepared foods from, from the grocery store. And, um, and this apparently uh, contributed to uh, certainly the intensity and the length of, of, of her dementia. So if I knew now, <laughs> sorry, if I knew then what I know now, uh, then I think that uh, things would have gone very differently for her. And um, of course, now I'm hoping to, you know, to share this kind of knowledge with, with other people so that they don't have to go through that, that problem. Yeah, you know, you don't really think about that with, well, I should say that sometimes I do think people can connect the two with brain fog and stuff like that. But it is very interesting about um, with, you know, just kind of having, you know, dementia and all that kind of stuff. And it can come from inflammation of the brain. I just don't think people think about that. I think they think about inflammation in the body, you know, maybe you feel it in your joints, maybe in other areas, but you're not really thinking about the brain per se. And so, um, I just wonder like if more people knew that, like if they would really start pulling back on their sugar intake. And I'm curious, um, how old was your mom when she started noticing or when you started noticing that she was kind of having dementia symptoms? Well, she was in her mid seventies, I guess, when, when this happened, when, when it started. And, um, so it was kind of manageable for, you know, for the first five years, but then it became really, uh, you know, then she couldn't live alone anymore. And, um, so I, I moved her out of her place into, to, to my city of Ottawa. She was in Montreal and, uh, she didn't care for that move very much but but she uh, she appreciated having an advocate and having someone to you know to uh watch out for her but um yeah that that certainly uh was a, a very difficult time for for both of us yeah well and i was thinking too like with yourself did you like did you notice like if you were eating sugar were you just kind of eating straight up sugar like baked goods and candy or whatever? Or do you feel like you really notice it even in just eating more simple carbs where the sugar is in that? Well, I, I, I was, um, I guess just from a, from a, a health standpoint, I wasn't eating donuts and candies and mm. pies and cakes yeah. and all that regularly. It would be sort of an exceptional thing. Um, but uh, what I was eating was uh, a lot of yogurt. 
And so um, my my parents come from the Netherlands, where dairy is a you know a really big deal, and um, I always loved cheese and uh, yogurt. So that was always a, a staple in my diet, and that uh, dairy is is a source of a lot of sugars. So the the lactose is basically a sugar, and um, so this is uh, th- this was an area that. Uh, was a real problem for me. So once I realized that this was problematic, then uh, removing dairy from my diet was just huge. It, it made such a difference. And you know the 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 brain fog is kind of a, a clogging up of the of the neural pathways in your brain, mm. and it, they kind of get gummed up, right? Yeah. So if you're eating food that that does that gumming, <laughs> so that yeah, would be right. processed carbs. Or sugar, um, then that's going to, you know, that that's going to make a really big difference if you remove those uh, those problems, and then your body can get back to its, you know, its maintaining of cleaning up and restoring. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that does make sense. And I was going to ask you. So I have personally removed a lot of dairy. I it, there may be traces of dairy in some things, and I'll and I allow it, but for me, it has impacted my allergies really bad, especially I live outside of Nashville and allergies can get really crazy. Um, it was after having my second daughter that I noticed I was getting sinus infections and then I was realizing, okay, the dairy is really causing so many issues. Um, for you, what did you really notice with the dairy? Was it the brain fog or was there something else that you kind of noticed when you pulled it out? Yeah, it was the brain fog, but also bloating, big time mm. bloating difference, and then uh, joint pain. So okay, yep. um, those were big deals. And that was, you know, that's also part of the inflammation problem. So yes, um, there, there were a lot of those, uh, those pretty quick fixes mm-hmm. that, um, that, that I could see just by removing dairy. And even now, every once in a while, I'll have some cheese or something, or maybe a, you know, a, a small, uh, uh, amount of, of yogurt, even though it's organic and grass fed and everything. And, and I, I notice twinges, you know, I, I notice it. Um, and when it's just in, in small amounts like that, and occasionally then it's, it's, it's not really a problem, but if you, uh, make it sort of a daily part of your, of your diet, mm-hmm. um, then I, I think that's where you can get those problems. And I, I've had some of my my uh, my ladies who have also gotten rid of allergies. So while that's not strictly a you know a perimenopause thing, it's right. just part of that general uh, that general healthiness and and being able to use holistic means to improve your overall well being. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wanted to touch on sleep and like getting quality sleep in regards to helping um, with your weight loss. Can you share a little bit um, more with what you have experienced? Yeah. And well, you know, most ladies gain weight as they enter uh, perimenopause. This is uh, almost universal. So I think, um, you know, uh, it's more than 90% of, of women do this. And so often they they come to me uh, starting with uh, the the problem of weight gain, and they don't connect it with sleep at all. But in in, in my mind, um, maybe aside from that sugar discussion, sleep is where it all begins. So if you don't have quality sleep, then your body can't perform properly. And so, you know, you you can't ask your body to perform if you're hampering it without this quality sleep. 
Now, this is kind of a double whammy because when you enter perimenopause, you also tend to have problems sleeping. (laughs) So uh, even in my case, I used to be a champion sleeper. I could just, even on an airplane, I could say time to sleep, sleep, and then wake up and, you know, away we go. But as I entered perimenopause, um, I might be okay getting to sleep, but then I'd be waking up all the time. And this is a really common problem. And the the time I hear all the time is the three o'clock wake up, you know, that three o'clock is when, <laughs> when ladies tend to, you know, spring awake. And usually it's because of a hot flush. Mm. So, um, you know, you wake up with 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 a with a night sweat and and uh, uncomfortable and and whatnot. So, getting control of sleep is just so important. And why is that? Well, when you don't sleep properly, then you are not able to perform the the regular body maintenance of uh, cleansing out all the, the the toxins, the dead cells, and 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 the spent food, and uh, rebuild tissue. So all these things happen at night in the brain. There's, of course, the, you know, cleaning out of, of, of the, of the neural pathways that happens and the recording of memories that happens at, mm. at night when you sleep. And there's also the burning of fat that happens at, at, at night when you sleep. But if your body is uh, busy digesting or if it's, uh, you know, busy being hot <laughs> or right. if yeah. it's not get, getting, the, the you know, that, that long duration of sleep, then all those maintenance functions get interrupted. And that causes stress to the body. And, and when, you, when your body's in stress, it produces cortisol. Now, we don't like cortisol that uh, happens over extended periods of time. Cortisol is great if it's if it's uh, just a, you know, you get a, a flash of anger or or uh, or a, a fear. Right. Then, then you get these some cortisol rushes. Uh, but if it's if it is maintained over a long period of time, then it becomes very toxic. And uh, what that does is it ends up stimulating your appetite. So you're storing up food in order to react to whatever this shock is that's coming at you. And of course, if your appetite is stimulated, then you end up eating more and that produces more insulin. And when you are producing insulin, there is no way that you can be burning fat because you can't store fat, which is what insulin does, and burn fat at the same time. So if you're not getting quality sleep at night, there's no way that you will um, lose any weight, right? That you'll just be stonewalled. And this is a a very common problem in in perimenopause. But there are also a lot of these other bodily functions that are not going to be properly supported. So this is one of the things that's super important. And it's it's sort of a, I don't know, a best kept secret, <laughs> you know, that um, we lead busy lives, uh, we have uh, work, we have family, we have friends, we have, you know, our own activities. And often sleep is one of the things that we compromise on. Yeah. So we end up doing, mm-hmm. you know, doing busy things right up until it's time to go to bed. And then we wonder um, why we can't sleep well. <laughs> and <laughs> And why we're tired and just feeling exhausted uh, in in the coming days. Yeah, I agree. It makes me think back when having babies and then being up in the middle of the night and then being exhausted. And then I would easily go for like carbs, sugar, 
caffeine mm-hmm. to kind of keep me up. And for me, I actually put on weight after just like with breastfeeding and being up and plus my body, my body was not the type to just let it go. Um, when I was breastfeeding where some people are like, I burned so much for me, I felt like my body was like, no, we're, we're feeding a human being. So we're, we're going to hold on to this. And then plus me being yeah. up, I was exhausted and then I would do whatever I could to keep myself up during the day. And then I would put on extra weight, which is so frustrating. So I can see that cycle, what you're talking about, minus the baby, but like that you're up and then you're tired and then you're giving yourself, you know, sugar and all that kind of stuff to help you get through. So what are some recommendations that you have for people that are struggling with waking up in the middle of the night? And like, how do you get back to bed? Um, you know, if you can't totally avoid the night sweats and, and stuff like that, like what, what do you recommend so that people can kind of get the best quality sleep, um, with what they're dealing with? Yeah. Well, great question. But I I do want to suggest that um, there might be a baby involved because uh, women are having babies later and later, right? Yes. If they're doing perimenopause, like late thirties. Yeah. Well, and you're still fertile in perimenopause. So Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not until your periods stop that you're I agree. Yes, there are, there are women that are perimenopausal with babies. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. So as far as what to do about this, well, you know, back to the food, there's the timing of food that is super important here. And, and I mentioned that if your body is busy digesting, then it couldn't be doing some of these really important maintenance functions. So um, one of the things I recommend is that uh, you eat uh, the largest meal of the day uh, in the middle of the day. So call it lunchtime, and that you have a smaller meal uh, at the end of the day, probably, well, hopefully lower on the protein side, because that takes longer to digest, and that all, all the eating stops at least four hours before bed. So this is um, really helpful, not only from the digestive system, but because um, it, some of that digestion can produce heat. So that whole thermal system in your body, if it's dealing with uh, heat production, as in digesting food, this is going to be important for for night sweats. So we don't want that. So that's uh, something you know fairly easy to manage, where where you can control the the timing of the food in order to help you sleep. Another um, bunch of things would be um, to stop doing really busy uh, things uh, a couple of hours before you go to bed. So stopping with screen activity because that blue light is a real stimulus to keep you awake and and, uh, causes a lot of sensory overload. Um, If you are uh, uh, about to go to sleep, then doing... uh, um, like a, a sleep meditation is super helpful. That just calms you right down. Uh, you could have a cold shower, which is uh, really helpful for that thermal aspect to try and cool you down. Um, having a lower temperature in the bedroom is really helpful. Uh, so for myself, I always turn the the air conditioning down much lower at night uh, than in the daytime or in the wintertime. I just, you know, let the the heat go way down. Mm, yep. um, uh, not drinking for a couple of hours before you go to bed is another good one so that you don't have to, uh, you know, get up and go to the bathroom in the night. Um, and another thing is uh, box breathing is really good. 
So what is box breathing? So box breathing is um, a kind of a meditation in the sense where you control your breathing in order to bring your, your body down and to focus your mind. So one of my favorites would be five, five, five. So you breathe mm. in for five seconds for five, and then you, uh, you hold it for five seconds, one, two, three, four, five, and then you exhale for five seconds, two, three, four, five, and you just rotate that. And, um, you can do it five, 10, 15 times. And you, you know, that, <laughs> that'll probably put you to sleep just in and of itself. <laughs> so there are lot, lots of, lots of tips on, um, on, uh, using, you know, that kind of sleep hygiene to, to promote, uh, quality restorative sleep. I was going to ask you too, like, do you have any thoughts on exercising in regards to perimenopausal, you know, women, like things that you might want to kind of scale back on or things that you may want to do more of? Yeah. So, um, you know, back to my, my, uh, trainer, um, he was recommending that I do a lot of high impact exercise. And he says, this is where, uh, the, the, the biggest gains are. But when you look at the hormone change that's happening with women, um, you, you have to take that into account with your exercise. So on one hand, exercise is fantastic, but not all exercise is great. And this was something that I was discovering. Um, and with my long distance cycling, that was really stressful because it was such an endurance sport. Um, so, you know, my, my rides would be anywhere from, I don't know, six to 10 hours in a day. And, uh, that was apparently too much. <laughs> so, so what, uh, what the, the research is saying and what I certainly find works for me is that, um, it's much better to avoid this, that stress on the body and the cortisol that is created as a result of that stress by doing much lighter aerobic exercises. So things like uh, walking, like swimming, um, like yoga. So things that, you know, that, that are not super strenuous, unless you're in some, you know, very focused training program for athletic purposes. Um, you know, if you're, if you're into, you know, amateur or professional sports, then you probably have some special program you're going for. But for most, most ladies, uh, this lighter aerobic exercise is really good. And I should point out that, um, that, um, strength training is also really helpful using small weights or body resistance, like small weights, like, you know, two to five pounds kind of thing, um, where you are building up your, your, your muscles and you're giving more density to your bones, because there are some things happening besides your hormones as you get older. Um, so some of the things that we, that we notice is that overall, uh, muscles, decline as we age, starting around age 35 or 40. So, you know, by the time you're into your fifties and sixties, that could look like as much as 30 or 40%. And so in order to, you know, to try and maintain those, uh, th those, uh, muscles, we need to be doing something, uh, for them, like with, uh, using weights and, uh, doing some, uh, some aerobic activity. But there are other things that are happening as well, and that is uh, bone density issues. So we, you know, we're, we we know that osteoporosis is uh, is a real problem, especially for women, be, primarily because of this this big change in, in hormones. Uh, 
So um, uh, with osteoporosis, if we are able to strengthen our bones and our muscles, then that is really good at uh, keeping osteoporosis at bay. But the, you know, the, the third thing that's pretty significant that's happening to us is that our liver is shrinking. <laughs> and this is a very distressing thing. So um, what your, your liver is responsible for metabolizing uh, pretty much everything that you eat and for extracting toxins and all this kind of thing. And if it is uh, hampered in any way, mm. like, uh, for instance, with uh, clogged up with these uh, poor fats and with, mm. um, you know, processed carbohydrates, then you are, uh, you know, you are impacting the ability of the liver to, to function. And if it's also shrinking, then you, you kind of have this double whammy going on. So it's um, very common to have uh, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome uh, starting from about age 40 on. It becomes really wow common. So <laughs> eating it, yeah, so e no eating idea. in this way, yeah, and, yeah has has a huge impact um and it you know it it taps into this exercise not so much from a a, a weight loss perspective but more for building up your musculoskeletal structure and keeping everything moving and keeping your your liver in in uh, you know in good shape i had no idea that the liver like got smaller so is that for men too is that just aging or is it women only that's for men too. Yes. Okay. But it, it, but women notice it more because mm. of the, the, the hormone change. Yeah, it happens yeah. much more quickly than men. I see. So do you know why it gets smaller? Like, I, like that's so bizarre that, that it would just start to shrink. Yeah, that's, that's a, a natural aging, um, oh, phenomena and it, wow. it, it partly has to do with, um, our, our food requirements go down, right. Oh, our yeah. our yep. muscle, our muscles get smaller. So if our, if our physical, mm. uh, requirements yeah. are, uh, scaled back, um, then, you know, then everything kind of compensates for wow. that. That's yeah. That's interesting. You know, I had a friend that talked about the non-fatty liver is it disease? Is that what you call it? Yeah. Syndrome. And, you know, syndrome. Okay. Yeah. And so I wonder, and she, how old is she? She's 47. So I'm wondering if that's kind of playing into it. Um, that's just, I, I mean, yeah. I never realized that that was an issue. So what you're saying is by working out that could help it, it's not going to make it grow. Right. Or what would the, what does the working out exactly do to help with the liver again? Um, well, it, it, it stimulates your metabolism okay. and it keeps, it keeps your, your ability for movement for, right. For, for, uh, for showing up basically. And, and of course the food is, is a big part of it. Right. But, um, uh, you, you, you do need to have, uh, your metabolism, um, not crash <laughs> in order for your liver to be healthy. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that I mean, that's I mean, I don't even think people are even thinking about that. Like, I don't think that is even crossing anyone's mind. That's the first time I've actually heard that is talking to you about the liver. And so um, that's quite interesting. Um, Dinah, we're at the end of the show, but I wanted to just ask you, okay, so when you think back to when you were like starting to notice your perimenopausal symptoms, but you didn't know that that's what was happening in your early 40s, what do you wish you could have done? 
now knowing what you know, like starting in your early forties, what, what do you think you would have switched and started paying attention to and doing so that you could have, you know, had an easier time, I should say. Well, um, I, I think that, you know, looking back, I'd say, I wish I could have taken a more holistic approach. Uh, because I was, I was on the whack-a-mole train, right? There was this symptom and that symptom and this other symptom. But, um, if I'd known that they were all part of that umbrella of, uh, perimenopause symptoms, then I would have been able to use my food as medicine, you know, cut, cut back the, the, uh, cut out the sugar and the processed carbs and, uh, eat more whole foods. Uh, I would have uh, been able to focus on sleep hygiene so that I could get, uh, better sleep. Um, I would have been able to focus on uh, exercises that were better for my hormonal health. <laughs> and uh, I think those things as as well as being able to, you know, add this mindfulness into it so that uh, so that I, I could uh, use meditation, use breathing and whatnot to calm my mind and to um, and to just, you know, put this holistic um, uh program in place that I think that would have made a, a world of difference and would have made my perimenopause and, and later the menopause, uh, so much easier and, uh, more understandable because I, you know, people don't talk enough about perimenopause and it, it, it's, oh, it's right. almost like a, yeah, like in the literature, there's stories about menopause and how women seem to go crazy and, and then they get these antidepressants from their doctor and, you know, but, but it's all, and there's, there's hot flashes involved, but it's all kind of nebulous, you know, it's, you get lots of information about puberty, but the, the bookend is perimenopause and yeah. you sort of don't hear much about that. So, um, I'm trying to do my bit <laughs> for, yeah. For for uh, getting information out about that because yeah. it's yeah. it shouldn't be so mysterious. I have two two other things I want to say. How long did your perimenopause last? Um, it lasted about uh, twelve years. Oh yeah. See, this is the issue. I mean, that's a long time to not know what's going on. You know what I mean? It's over a decade to kind of just be like, "What's happening to me?" And so that's why it's important for me to have people on like you, because I really don't think people are understanding what's happening. And like you said, too, if women are having kids later on in life, it's like yeah. there's this overlap that they could be kind of just coming out of postpartum and having a baby and all that. And then they're starting to mix it with perimenopause symptoms. So then it's really like, I don't know what's happening. And, and then they yeah. kind of go into the perimenopause as they get further away from having the baby. Um, and then they just don't know what's happening. And like you said, I think it could lead to depression uh, because you don't know you, you you don't know what's going on. You're like, why well, don't know? I feel so good. Why can't I remember yeah. things? All, all these things, right? And so, um, yeah. so this is so helpful. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask, I think you said you have, um, you you wanted to um, offer um, the listeners something. Um, what is it again? I forget. Um, you had an yes. offer. Uh, so yeah, can you share that with us? I, I, 
Yeah, it's just a piece of information. But uh, as part of the, you know, the effort to get information out there, I've put together a little uh, booklet that's called The 11 Foods That Ladies in Perimenopause Should Never Eat. Mm, So uh, there's a a little description about why that is. And uh, so you can identify, okay, if these are the symptoms that I'm having, then these are the foods that I'd better be cutting out. (laughs) So yeah, that's great. uh, that that would be a uh, hopefully a, a helpful resource for yeah. uh, for the listeners. Yeah, and I'll put that in the show notes so that they can go there and, and find that information. All right, Diana, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so great talking to you. I could I could keep going on about this just because I think it's so good for women to get more and more information. Um, but I do try to keep it shorter just because I know moms only have so much time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Terrific. Well, thanks for having me, Amber. It was great. Hey, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this show. And just a reminder, if you want to set up that free 30-minute consultation call with me to see if we would be a good fit for coaching, I would love for you to do that. All you have to do is go to mominspiredshow.com, click the coaching tab. You can set up your 30-minute free consultation uh, call right there. It will set you. It will send you into the uh, scheduling link and you will be all set. If you have any questions, email me at amber at mominspiredshow.com. I would love to meet you and answer any questions that you have. All right, you guys, I'll see you next week. 